Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Alex Uplinger, at Alex underscore up seven, and manages our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. As it is NFL Week 8 coming up on the halfway point of the NFL season. And Alex, have you done anything in your life as bad as they play football in the NFC South? <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple things I could think of, but I mean, that's a very, very low bar. <laughs> the winner, now after we record after that loss for Tampa, that means that the winner of Sunday's Carolina Atlanta game will be in first place. I mean, unbelievable. I think I saw early in the week people taking the Panthers to win the division at plus 1,000. And, you know, that was like two games out of first. Now, so as bad as the Panthers game. are, like, I, I can't. They're not dead. <laughs> no, I don't hate it at all. Like, if you told me, like, you're going to get a. Sh- third place team that's a game or two out at 10 to one to win the division halfway through the season. Almost like I just have to blindly take it with a divisional game that week in a game. Right. That's only short road. road dogs. Dogs. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't hate it. No, I don't hate it at all. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but let's jump in and get started with the Sunday London game, Denver traveling to London to take on the Jags and, uh, you know, the Jags, maybe, I don't know, these London fans, like, uh, I don't know if they're just, like, so conditioned to Jaguars football that they're defaulted to Rudy for them. But nonetheless, Denver, two-and-a-half-point dog in the game, total of 39-and-a-half on the neutral field. Uh, I guess we'll have to see if Russ did enough high knees on the flight, Alex. God, what an asshole. <laughs> He just he knew that would be reported on. Like, look at me, I'm working out. Right, right. Fucking flight. Give me a fucking break, dude. On the flight, come on. But having said that, we talked before we jumped on here. Sunday morning London game, you wake up, you need some action, and you're looking at the total. Yeah, I just think I know it's weird to see a total under 40 and still want to go under, but that's how I'm feeling. 
I mean, there's the questions of who's going to be quarterback, a banged up Russ or Rippon. Either way, I'm not super confident on the Broncos really moving the ball that well. Jacksonville has one of the better run defenses. And then the Broncos have one of the better defenses overall in the NFL. They only allow 16.4 points per game, which is third in the NFL. And then the Broncos just can't fucking score. It doesn't matter who is quarterback. Even with Russ, they can't score. It's really scary. I know 39 and a half. In London, you get great conditions with it being a dome. So could see some points, but I just I just don't see Denver scoring, which would logically put me on the Jags, but I don't know. that It's just kind of a scary line. And, and like and we, talked, I think we talked a little bit about it last week. The Jags kind of uh, allure of like, ooh, like Doug Peterson, like are they going to win the division already? Like that's that air is well out of the balloon to the point where – I feel like like they're closer to typical Jags than they are a playoff team. So, like, I, I don't want to give up nearly a field goal with the Jags right now against anyone. Yeah. The, the regression definitely by a touchdown. Yeah. Granted, divisional game. And, you know, Jacksonville in London, that's like a home game, as you mentioned. That's for whatever reason, they play there all the time. So a ton of Jacksonville fans. You know, Alex, we, we talked before we jumped on here about, like, random jerseys and, like, like players that fan bases just, like, that are diehards remember. Like, I, I want, I want like, I want to see someone in London that's, like, has, like, a British accent wearing, like, a Jags Mercedes Lewis jersey. Like, person would be a legend. Oh, my God. You bust out the Mark Brunel. That's what I mean. Day like, one, Jack. There's got to be someone. You know, there's some hipster London guy with a, yeah, with a garage jersey, just waiting right. for this moment. <laughs> yeah, that this game stinks. That's why they put it this early. I, I don't Are love it. But, ever actually good teams? Uh, no. I mean, we saw Packers, Giants, which is. Turned out to be decent. good team, yeah, but like the wrong team that we thought. Right, exactly. At the time, it did not look like good teams. I mean, that was almost a double-digit spread, and the Giants went out right. Just ugly, ugly games generally. All right, well, an ugly game doesn't deserve any more attention, so let's return stateside and go to MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, where the New York Jets are a surprising division home dog against the New England Patriots uh, as New England is now out to two and a half. This number opened about one and a half, I believe, at most shops. And we're seeing a total in this game of 40 and, a, and the hook. Alex, I want to ask you this. Before we get into the specifics of this game, because we both have a lot to say on it. Do you think we're just seeing bookmakers be more efficient and look beyond head-to-head records and straight-up records when hanging numbers because we saw the Jags laying three at home against the Giants, and the Giants were four or five games better than the Jags in the standings last week. And now we're seeing a Jets team that seems to be poised to end its, I think, 11- or 12-year playoff drought, laying or excuse me, catching points at home against a New England team that looks – like a mess right now. Like, are we just seeing bookmakers be more efficient with their line posting? I mean, we love the fishy, weird favorites, but I don't know that that's necessarily what's going on here. Like, I think there's definitely some elements of the jets that a lot of people aren't buying yet much the same way with the giants where we saw the giants as a dog. What do you think about the way these numbers get hanged? Like do Osmakers even care about straight up records? It's a great question. I, I don't think records really go into it much i also think they have to hang these numbers just knowing not knowing but predicting what kind of action they're going to get you know people see such a good record with the giants in terms of win losses and then they're underdogs granted that was the, the correct side last week but you have to think they hang that number anticipating a ton of people taking the trendy underdog like taking the giants because they're getting a field goal and Obviously, the Giants are the way better team. Look at all these wins they have. Yeah, and, you know, it's a big New York market. People that are probably, you know, fiending for good football with how bad both of these teams have been lately. And 
you know, maybe it, therefore deciding to bet on their teams a little more. I just, I just think yeah, there is a lot of that, that where like they're baiting you, but they're also it. like looking at a lot of the underlying numbers and seeing the Giants and Jets maybe overachieving. And I think that's why both of their coaches, Brian Dable and Robert Sala, will be in Coach of the Year conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be curious maybe to hear a bookmaker's side to it. I just wonder how much the markets go into this. Like New York is a massive market, probably New York, New Jersey, like some of the bigger betting markets. Right. So when you have a team like outperforming, like and having a good record as a result, does that make you more enticed in a a big market team like that? Does that like make bookmakers more enticed to hang these kinds of numbers? Like if it were the, you know, the Jags that were six and one, like are are we still seeing like the Jags, uh, two and a half point home dog in a division game against a team that they're much better. Exactly. Than, like, are they, are they factoring the markets in just knowing they're going to get the action regardless from right. a ton of home fans? Yeah. So that's definitely a, a and, and especially, you know, at, at the Alex, at these legal books, I, I don't know if it's legal in New York yet, but I know it is in Jersey and there's a bunch of New York fans in North Jersey. So, you know, yeah, it is. It is legal in New York, and that's one of the bigger legal markets. I know Jersey has surpassed Vegas a couple months so far this year. Yeah, so uh, you know, just something I wanted to ponder there. But when we get into this game, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be on New England here because I, it just seems like a vintage Bill Belichick alpha blood spot. I did some research on the New England versus the Jets straight up and ATS numbers uh, because. I, I, Belichick's the type of guy I don't I think holds grudges for like once you're on his bad side there's no change in his mind and Belichick since he became the New England Patriots head coach 35 and 11 straight up 25 19 and two against the spread against the Jets and the reason I bring that up because I I do think every single time this guy plays the Jets it's personal I think he's still mad you know if you've seen that two Bills 30 for 30 I think he's still gets pissed off over the fact that the Jets tried to block him from accepting the Patriot job. So, uh, you know, not that that's like auto bet New England every time they're playing the Jets with Belichick, although you'd be doing pretty well if that was the case because that's a uh, 57% cover rate and a much better straight-up win rate. Uh, But you factor that in with the more, you know, 2022 relevant stuff with what went on for New England and the week that was. Obviously, Belichick... Under fire for what happened with the quarterback situation Monday Night Football against the Chicago Bears, where, you know, he plays Mac Jones and then Bailey Zappi comes in. And you know, I saw some Boston writers saying, I like, thought oh, Belichick was like the third person in the media room, normally he's up first. So whether you want to read into that or not, like some people thought maybe he was kind of strategizing a, a PRE type, what's my plan to spin this like at the press conference and he obviously said that the plan was to play both quarterbacks which I don't think anybody believes and I, I just think like oh, that's complete I, bullshit he got caught with his pants down Mac Jones probably wasn't ready to play and they probably rushed him back paid the price you look at New England on defense and you know, what do we always say about Belichick defenses is that they take away your best weapon. And the only weapon for Chicago is the ground game. And the Bears cut them open to the tune of like 245 rushing yards. So I just think everything about Belichick, he's a defensive mind. They got gashed on the ground. The decision with the quarterbacks playing the Jets. Like there's so much I think that's pissing him off that, you know, as much as we like the job Robert Sala is doing, this is still a young head coach going against Belichick, like, and and for New England, it's damn near must win time at three and four. So I'm definitely going to be on the Patriots here. I'm definitely with you. This feels like a game that they just come out and absolutely blow the doors off. Like you mentioned, he wasn't really able to shut down anything. I mean, you got to try to shut down either the run game or fields. They weren't really, like, spying fields. I mean, he ran all over the fucking field. Looked great. Best game of his career. I mean, they didn't do anything on defense. You have to think he's been absolutely pissed this entire week. And now they get to go up against Zach Wilson, who's averaging 
173 passing yards per game. And just that's a great point. Player. I should have included, I know they did just trade for James Robinson, but I think that loss of Brees Hall really hurts the Jets this week because what were they doing? They were just pounding the rock. Brees Hall looked like he could be the offensive rookie of the year. Now he's out for the year. And, you know, how quickly is James Robinson going to be up to speed? You have to think that the Jets ground game takes a bit of a hit. And then you're looking at Zach Wilson trying to beat a Bill Belichick defense. Exactly. I mean, outside of that Brees Hall run last week, the 60-plus yard run, touchdown, I mean, they really didn't do anything. Zach Wilson had 121 yards on 16 completions. Like, they just they can't throw the ball very well. How are they going to move the ball against this Belichick fired-up defense? I mean, they're going to shut down something. It's going to be Michael Carter. I know they brought James Robinson. And I can't imagine, you know, the first week in the system he's going to see any sort of relevant playing time. So Michael Carter running the ball. Zach Wilson just is not very good. They can't throw the fucking ball. If you look at some of these stats, one last week, the 120 passing yards. Week before that, against Green Bay, he had 110 passing yards in a victory. How the hell are they going to move the ball this week? I, I think two and a half is too low. Patriot, I don't care who's playing quarterback. I'm sure it's going to be Mac Jones. That's their guy. That's the guy they have. Well, and, and that's the other thing. Now. Like, I don't even know that I worry about Mac coming out again because, like, I know he was bad on Monday night, but Zappy held his own prior to that. Yeah, I mean, it looked great. That's why I'm kind of surprised they even started Jones. That was such a such a weird thing. Zappy like, hour, baby. I uh, fucking love Zappi, our Western Kentucky legend, just a yeah. college football goat, which is why, why didn't you just start him from the beginning of that game? It felt like they just burned three drives from the start of that game, just got right. completely behind doing this dual quarterback shit, and then they bring in the guy that they wanted to. So regardless of who plays at quarterback, I think the Patriots are just the side here. So full agreement on New England uh, as a short road favorite at MetLife Stadium. Let's take the trip down the Jersey Turnpike and across the Walt Whitman Bridge to Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, where the Eagles return from their bye week. A very steep favorite against their Keystone State friends, I, I guess. Maybe they're friends. I mean, it's the Steelers. And uh, Eagles are a 10.5-point favorite, total of 43 in this game. And I know you said the full game number came down a little bit. Uh, for, there were some 11s, 11.5s maybe out there. Um, but, you know, we talk about it. The Eagles first half has been just a you know, lining everybody's wallets, even with some kind of uh, improbable covers at times. We had it against the Jags when they got down early and then they got up early against Arizona. Then Arizona came back and then the Eagles still managed to pull it out. So there have been some sweaty ones of late. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the Eagles have been a first half cover machine. Uh, and, you know, it's a pretty big number full game. And I know we have. Philly coming out of a bye, uh, but Alex, as ugly as the Steelers' offense has been at times, uh, they've been able to hang around, as we saw most recently last week against Miami, where they kind of muck the game up, and, you know, it, it's ugly, but they cover a big number, and, you know, you think there's some of that going on here with this game. I, For the record, I'm probably going to pass this game. I, I do think that the Eagles, uh, while they have been dynamite, and, you know, this is a game that you look at it and say they, they should be able to roll. Uh, maybe they're a little flat uh, coming out of the bye. I feel like we always look at coming out of the bye as a good thing, but these guys are humans and the Phillies have been at the top of the Philly sports universe right now. So maybe there's just, you know, a, a little lack of attention to detail as well for the Eagles. And uh, they're not maybe ready to play right away. So I, I don't know that I love the first half angle in this game either. Uh, I do think Steelers plus all those points, Makes some sense, and I think it goes back to kind of what we talk about all the time. Underdog Tomlin, he won outright a few weeks ago as an eight-and-a-half-point dog against Tampa. So, you know, while the Steelers are two and five, I don't think they're going to lay down. So I'd lean that way full game, but probably pass here. Yeah, I'm going to end up taking Eagles first half and Steelers full game. Hopefully get a little... A little bit of uh, Eagles coming out hot. They're 6-0 against the spread in the first half. And I just think that's a little too high of a number to weigh in the NFL. Over 10 points in the 
Steelers getting a little healthier. They should have Witherspoon back, one of their corners, who they've been missing. And oddly enough, they didn't seem to miss any of these defensive backs last week. They probably should have won that game. And that's arguably a, a better a better passing game than what the Eagles have, what the Dolphins do with Hill and Waddle. And Steelers seem to really keep them in check. They definitely should have won and dropped several interceptions that would have absolutely swung the game. You just can't get away from this Eagles first half machine. I'm going to bet it until, until the wheels fall off. So I'm not going against it this week. I see first half, six and a half, and then full game, ten and a half. So, yeah, Eagles by a touchdown or half, and then the Steelers muck it up and keep it close and just don't lose by 11. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving and go from one NFC East team to another as it's the Dallas Cowboys playing host to those Chicago Bears who we mentioned an impressive win at Gillette Stadium. Gosh, the Bears, are they the worst three and four team ever? God, them or the Falcons. I mean, it's close. <laughs> there's there's a lot of bad NFL teams right now. I have yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's not been great. And so we have uh, Dallas laying nine in the hook. Total of 42 in the hook. And I just don't want anything to do with this game. I mean, we'll get to Detroit a little bit later, but I think that Dallas final may be a little phony last week, and I don't think the Cowboys were exactly pulling away with it against Detroit. And as bad as Chicago is, I mean, it might be better than the Lions right now. So I think there's a world in which the Bears cover this game, and if you're in a contest as I am, where you have to pick every game against the spread, I probably would take Chicago getting all those points. Uh, but I still wouldn't feel great about it. I mean, you know, it doesn't look like Zeke Elliott's going to go, but obviously Tony Pollard's been well-documented as a very effective kind of 1A to Zeke. And, you know, Dak's back for another week. You would think maybe there's some more big plays to be had for the Dallas offense. So um, I would, honestly, if we had... I don't know what the off the top of my head. I, I wasn't on the Lions last. I think it was seven last week. Uh, I, I, like if we had closer to nine and a half, ten, I might have considered the Lions last week in the first game back for Dak. But he gets the game under his belt. I could just see him being more comfortable. Um, but I don't want to give up this many points with a Cowboys team that, you know, offensively just hasn't been dynamite enough to put up points in a hurry and make the nine and a half not feel as big. So. Uh, it's the slightest of leans to the Bears, but I'm not going to be playing this game. This is a complete stay away from me. For me as well, I don't really want to lay it, but I I do lean the Cowboys here. It feels like the Bears are just fat and happy coming off a massive, massive win as an underdog. Now they're in that same spot as a dog, which has been very profitable on the season. Saw that underdogs getting more than a field goal they're 44 and 22 against the spread 66.7 percent this is just another one of those where you don't really want to lay it but i'm also not super confident in the bears going on the road back to back just being the highest of highs off that win this feels like one of those games where dallas could get a ton of pressure and actually scheme to take out fields and then you know I, I could see them covering this game but like you mentioned the, the Lions probably should have won that game outright last week and then they fumbled on the one yard line several turnovers they had every opportunity to cover and if not win yeah this is just one of those stayaways on we roll to another NFC North team and it is the Lions hosting the Miami Dolphins, Detroit catching three in the hook, and I believe the highest total on the board in the Motor City, 51 in the hook here. And, Alex, I think we both like Detroit here kind of for that reason, where it felt like they are in a much closer game against the Cowboys last week. And, I mean, we had the Lions in our contest last week, excuse me, the Steelers in our contest last week against the Dolphins. I'm not saying the Dolphins are total frauds. I think enough of what they did early in the season might be sustainable enough to be one of the AFC wild cards. But gosh, it sure feels like they aren't. There's some air out of the balloon. And I, like even with Tua back, I, I, 
I, I think this is still a, the type of Miami team that, like, I, they profile as a team that falls victim to these, like, kind of flat spot games where, you know, you look at that. This is your vintage, like, short road favorite where it's like, oh, God, like, the Dolphins, like, they're going to the playoffs and, and they got Tua back for another week. And, you know, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, and, you know, the Lions are the Lions. Like, and all I have to do is give up three and a half points. And this is the exact kind of team that, like, fucks it up in that kind of game. So I think there's that element of it. And, you know, listen, like, the Lions, we talked a little bit about it, too, before we jumped on. They're the kind of team that beginning of the season, there was a lot of hype, probably a lot of hard knocks-related hype. And they did cover early on against the Eagles week one, covered early on against Minnesota on the road. So they've played with these teams, and I feel like, you know, at a certain point, yeah, if you're a Lions fan, you want to see them start winning these games. But they continue to be a decent dog against the spread because they're able to keep games closer than the number indicates. And I think there's a little bit of some of that that could be going on here as well. Uh, I think Detroit at home makes some sense. Uh, so I'll take the Lions plus three in the hook. Yeah, I'm with you on the Lions. Love a short home dog. This is the same Lions team that everyone was so high on and was really the darling underdog of the NFL dating back to last year. They just seemed to play for Dan Campbell and just cover the spread. And I think that's the case in this game as well. Dolphins also dealing with some injuries. Saw their starting safety, Brandon Jones. He's out for the season with an ACL injury, suffered last week. And this Dolphins offense, even with Tua back, just leaves a lot to be desired. Could not pick apart a Steelers secondary that was riddled with injuries. Steelers probably should have won that game. They were an interception or two away from winning that game. Just easy drops they could not could not make the play on. And we expect St. Brown to be back this week. He was out after you know the first series last week against Dallas technically in the concussion protocol but it wasn't a concussion it's one of those weird situations where you have the spotter is that that new protocol coming in yeah exactly this independent third-party person who determines when they think a concussion has occurred and it ended up that he didn't have a concussion so I expect St. Brown to be back I think Swift is going to be back as well. Just a lot of offensive firepower for both teams. I just I like the the lines here at home. I also like the over fifty one and a half. You mentioned that's the highest total on the board. I still think this is going to go over. A lot of offensive weapons, not great defenses as we've seen. I think the over is probably my more confident play, but I'm. I'm going to be on the lines at three in the hook as well. On we roll to an intriguing game in Minneapolis where the Arizona Cardinals, who picked up a Thursday night football win last week in the first game with DeAndre Hopkins this season, are catching three in the hook against the Minnesota Vikings, where the Vikings uh, come in off their bye week at five and one. And, you know, you can certainly look at what the Vikings have done and say, Well, what's so impressive about barely hanging on or coming from behind against the Lions and hanging on against the Bears and beating a Dolphins team that was rotating a bunch of quarterbacks? And, you know, there's certainly been some. I have to ask. I have to ask. Is this the most least impressive five and one team ever? Okay, And and, and I think that's a fair criticism. And And now you see the Packers are they're they're plus money to make the playoffs. So are you saying you like the Packers to make the playoffs? No, 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 definitely not. I'm, I'm just saying it's interesting that, you know, they were huge favorites to make the playoffs. Now they're dogs. Sizable yeah. favorites to win this division. Although, you know, before the season, we both were very high on the Vikings. I'm always high. I, I like Kirk Cousins a lot more than most. I'm just saying they haven't impressed yet and they have, all the weapons in the world. I just don't think they're very good in their five and one. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. And maybe you're right, but in the NFL, who is good outside of Buffalo, Kansas city and Philly? Like, 
Who is good? I feel so, like there's like two, three good teams. Also, the quarterback play has been drastically down across the And so league. I think, Alex, because of that, I still have to just simplify it and say, you're five and one, you're five and one. There's not many teams that are five and one right now. Like, if the league... No, it, was- just, it just matters if you win games. That's like me always going back to the Giants and saying this is the most bullshit lucky team in the NFL, but they win games. They win close games. So that's all that matters. And I don't know. Like, I, I just think the Vikings are a more talented team that like their record is maybe more emblematic of the talent they have on their roster. So I don't think it's totally fluky. Are they the second best team in the NFC behind the Eagles? Maybe not. I think that's where you could look at it and say, you know, I'll still take the Niners, even though they're three and four, or you'll still take, you know, I, Cowboys, I, I, I don't I even know. Like, take, who else could you even talk would, yourself into? I would take Dallas over the Vikings. Dallas. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's fair. Um, but regardless, I am going to be on the Vikings here, and I know you like the Cardinals. Uh, I, I'm just playing the trends with Noon Kirk. Uh, he's obviously been dynamite in this uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time window. And I, I think that an offensive mind like Kevin O'Connell comes back with a lot of new tricks up up his sleeve. Uh, the noon Kirk stat that I like since 2015, 29 and 11 straight up his cousins in the 1 p.m. Eastern window. And uh, I, I am going to just kind of system play it uh, on Vikings minus three and the hook because uh, you, you do have Arizona with extra time to prepare off the mini buy. So. I'm curious why you like Arizona. Do you think that this is just a team that's going to get rolling now that Hopkins is back? I do. I I really like what I saw last week. Granted, that was no, no, they want to score a couple defensive touchdowns, two, two like, pick sixes. Yeah, I understand that. But Hopkins, I was kind of surprised how well he looked and did. I mean, granted, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL, so I shouldn't be that surprised. But just to you know seamlessly fit in the offense and. I think with another week to prepare in practice, he'll be way more comfortable. This is also just a clash of titans in terms of trends. You know, you mentioned that Kirk trend in the noon or 1 p.m. window. Then you got Cliff Kingsbury as a road underdog. This is one of the better trends I've seen. He's 15-3-2 against the spread as a road dog. Very impressive for whatever it is. They just always seem to show up as road underdogs. I'm not sure what it is. And also, we haven't quite gotten to that point where Cliff just completely melts down because we're not at the halfway point. We always fade Cliff <laughs> in the second half of the season. Second so half it's Cliff, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still early enough where we, we have, you know, decent, decent Cliff. So I, I really like the cards here. I just I think the offense is going to be going to be better, going to be humming. And I just I like that road underdog. I like the short dogs are covering very well so far in the season. Just underdogs in general, for some reason, just doing very well in the NFL. Well, let's go to Bourbon Street, where the New Orleans Saints are hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. New Orleans, a short one point home dog in this game, a total sitting at 49 in the hook. Devontae Adams been dinged up with a uh, seems like he's got the flew and hasn't practiced yet this week. So uh, we'll see if he's his old self. Um, the Raiders, uh, I think, are the side here, albeit it's probably a, the public play. Uh, I, I, I just think that, and I think we've opined about this uh, during different pods over the course of the first half of the NFL season, the Raiders lost a lot of close games, right? Week one at SoFi, Derek Carr turns the ball over a few times too many, and they lose a five-point game. Week two against Arizona, they let a lead slip away in the fourth quarter and they lose that game. Week three in Nashville, they rally from behind, but not rallying enough, lose by two as they don't get a two-point conversion. Week four against the Broncos, they win. Then week five against the Chiefs, they get up 17 donut, let the Chiefs come back, ultimately lose by one after the controversial McDaniels two-point try, should he have done it. So they had a lot of stuff kind of go against them in tight games. I thought it was kind of a get-right spot for them against the lowly Texans last week. And now this is a Saints team that's reeling. 
Uh, I do think the Raiders are the side, but I think it's probably a pretty square side given how much of a mess the Saints are right now. Pass the game for me, but I do think the Raiders, if they win, uh, could keep the train moving and uh, be uh, one. You know, if they win, they'll get to three and four. And there's all those teams in that cluster of three and four, four and three. The Raiders would be one that I'd be more interested in than some of the others because I think there's a lot of talent on this roster. But I need to see it again before I back Las Vegas. I think Adams is the key here. You mentioned he didn't practice today. He's been dealing with an illness. So we'll see if he goes on Sunday and then if he does. How productive he's going to be. This is just one of those games I I don't know. I just don't fucking care. I just don't care at all. I don't <laughs> care about this game at all. I don't really want to bet it. I don't really want to watch it. The over looks pretty enticing. Defenses leave a lot to be desired, which is weird to say about the Saints because they should have one of the better defenses. They generally do they have a lot of talent on defense. It's Andy Dalton. I don't know why they're not going to go back to Jameis Winston now that he's healthy. I don't know why they're not giving him a chance. This line is just super weird. Only laying one, granted, on the road, but still, this Raiders team is just way better than what the, the Saints have. It just feels too obvious that the Raiders win this game, but I'm going to pass. It's just too weird. I, I don't want anything to do with it. All right, well, Let's just move on then and go to another game in the NFC South. Again, which we're kind of interested in, and that's the Carolina Panthers traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Atlanta, a four-point home favorite in this game. And, uh, Alex, I think for as dominant as the excuse me, the Falcons have been against the spread, this is a bit, for, bit of a different role for them. First time all year they're laying more than a field goal. And I, I think there's kind of an element of trust that the bookmakers are putting in the Falcons here that I'm not ready to put with my own wallet in a low total in this game of just 41. And I mean, the Panthers looked like a football team last week, as bad as the Bucks are. And we talked about that at the beginning of the pod. You got to at least give the Panthers some credit. They win it 21 three uh, PJ Walker right now, even though he's lower on the depth chart. Probably a better option than Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, even when they're healthy. So, And I think they're going to stick with P.J. for the rest of the season. Honestly, again, he's not the name those other two guys are, but he might be their best quarterback that's available right now. So all that said, I think Carolina is the side here because it comes down to if you want to really trust Atlanta now in a different role. And I don't. And it would be so on par for this division if the Panthers now win back-to-back division games against Tampa and Atlanta. And you look up and say, oh, wow, there's Carolina. <laughs> and, and there, because again, Matt Rule didn't do a good job. But this was a roster. There's a reason Christian McCaffrey got traded. Robbie Anderson got traded. There were rumors galore about Brian Burns and DJ Moore. Uh, and, and they probably they may move another player or two before Tuesday's deadline. So it's a bad team, but it's an awful division. And it would be so on par for a team like Carolina that's in fire sale mode to be a game out or in first place, actually, with a win in the NFC South. So I will take the plus four on the hunch that Carolina, uh, you know, coming off of a win, maybe some more positive juju in the locker room, maybe some guys eager to play their way out and get traded if they have a good game. Uh, I, I like the Panthers plus the points. I hate to just keep agreeing, but I'm, I'm definitely with well, you. Well, we I just think. were on opposite sides there in that Viking Cardinal game. Yeah, that, that's fair. That was one of a few, but I definitely agree. I think there's a little bit too many points for teams that I see are very equal. I think people might be a little caught up in the hype of, yeah, the Falcons just covering almost every game. NFL best six and one against the spread. They just did not cover their first game last week, but come back home. I think this is very much a coin flip, and you're getting you're getting four points in a divisional game. I think PJ Walker is arguably an upgrade against 
you know, Baker Mayfield, XFL legend, PJ Walker. Temple out. Oh, there you go. That's a, that's a deep cut for, for anyone listening. I'm not sure how many people knew that. I definitely did not know that. I remember his time in the XFL. There you go. Temple out. Great. I think the, the under is very enticing. So far this season, unders in divisional games, 26-8-1 to the under. Sure. Both these teams are going to want to run the ball. The Falcons are the ball. That makes sense, too, well. from a familiarity standpoint. The defenses just kind of know what's coming. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks to why we also like divisional dogs. Just, you know, assuming lower scoring, more competitive games, teams that are familiar with each other. Take so, points, right. Yeah, keep them close. You, you like to take the points in divisional matchups. Yeah, I, I like the Panthers and... I think the under is very enticing. I'll, I'll probably get there with the under 41. On we roll to the AFC South. And gosh, this is a stinky line in Houston. First game in the late window, Tennessee laying two in the hook, total of 40 in the hook. And Alex, this to me is a complete stay away. I, I'd lean Texans, but we just don't know what's going on with Ryan Tannehill and that ankle. And Honestly, if the Texans weren't so bad against the run, it'd be, it, it might be a play. But I think this is one of those games where even if Tannehill's not up to 100%, they could hand the ball off to Derrick Henry every play and win. So I, I think that Houston is one of the three worst teams in the NFL, and that might be being nice. So I, it, it's just they're so bad where – I can't even talk myself into the fishy side of this number. I mean, the Titans have won four in a row. They're in first place in the AFC South. I mean, they they might win, or we'll get to the Colts in a minute, but Tennessee might run away with this division when all said and done. But with all that said, to only be laying two and a half against the Texans certainly seems like, whether it's a fishy line or if just oddsmakers know a little more about Tannehill, uh, I, I, I'm just staying far away from this game. It's a shame that this is in the, the four o'clock window. This should be, this should be buried at this one is corner o'clock. TV at the bar in the one o'clock. Yes, window. this is, this is TV in the bathroom above the urinal. <laughs> you see once every couple hours. This is the game. You just do not want to fucking watch. You don't want this to come up on red zone. I know I just mentioned loving you know, divisional dogs, but Texans at this short of a number, this isn't really one you can back. I think the number is indicative that I got to say Mills Mafia is losing a lot of members this season. The Mills Mafia train is, is a little bit derailed. We're not quite off the tracks. I'm still there, but after last week, we're, we're definitely getting repairs. We're in the train yard, getting a couple of repairs. Like the, the Mills Mafia train has definitely slowed. And that might speak more to the defense, though. Last week was very much concerning. Past couple weeks, though, not great. I mean, last week they, they gave up uh, 143 yards to Josh Jacobs on 20 carries. Average 7.2 yards per carry. Now they have to face Derrick Henry. I think this line speaks to... Tannehill likely not playing, or if he does, how effective is he going to be? He was limited in practice today with an ankle injury, and if you saw that game last week, he he was not moving very well, which is not great for a quarterback who was very mediocre in the passing game. I feel like you know him him on the ground is kind of what what keeps the defense a little bit honest. Obviously, you have Derrick Henry, so. That's huge against the defense. I can't stop the run. This line is just just very fishy. I mean, it just feels too obvious to take the Titans under a field goal against one of the worst teams in the NFL. I would probably look to the total, look to the under. They're both two really solid running teams. Would not surprise me if this is a super boring game, you know, 2010 type of game. I, I think the under 40 and a half is a good look. 
Well, the good thing is this is a 4.05 Eastern kickoff, and the rest of them are 4.25 Eastern. So this this will end before the rest of the late window games. But like, that, that means we have to watch it for, for 20 minutes. That means we do have before, to watch like the first quarter before, or close yeah, to it. Yeah. Before our commanders come in. And then that'll also mean that this game, when the other ones are at half, this game will be in the third quarter and it'll be the only one on red zone. So uh, you know, yeah, that's when uh, you like get your bathroom break in and, you know, yeah, exactly. you got to make like a, you know, if you're, if, if you're low on beer after the one o'clock, so you got to make a quick liquor store run. Like you do it. That's oh, a perfect, perfect time to make a perfect run. time for like a quick 15 minute stop, you know, however you want to spend those 15 minutes, probably more efficient than watching the third quarter of that game. But anyway, <laughs> Uh, let's go to the Pacific Northwest where the Seattle Seahawks are laying a field goal against the New York Giants, total of 44 and a half. Alex, you have an interesting play on this total, and I think it makes some sense with how effective Keno Smith has been in getting the ball to his playmakers. Obviously, I think people forgot, right? And I'm not acting like I was in on Seattle at the beginning of the season, but I think people forgot just how good DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were. And now, obviously, the emergence of you know, another a different rookie running back in Kenneth Walker the third after Brees Hall gets hurt. Maybe Kenneth Walker, when it's all said and done, will end up being the offensive rookie of the year. Damian Pierce, another offensive rookie of the year candidate in Houston, the running back for the Texans has ran well. So this rookie running back class, none of them first rounders, but uh, looking pretty good out of the gate thus far. And, you know, so you factor in Walker and those two wideouts and the way Geno's been playing and Seattle can score. And then we have... Danny Dimes in that underdog role, and we've seen him thrive in it again this year. Outright win against Baltimore as five-and-a-half-point home chalk. Outright win against the Tennessee Titans as road five-and-a-half-point chalk in week one. Uh, he has uh, definitely lived up to that moniker. Outright win against the Green Bay Packers as touchdown dogs in London. So, for whatever reason, in these games, and, and he's been protecting the ball, playing that kind of mistake-free game, and, and Saquon Barkley has been excellent. Uh, and, you know, they did move Kadarius Toney, but it's not like he's really been impacting things much for the Giants. I think your play on the total is interesting on, on going over. Uh, I'm not touching this side, though. I'm done fading the Giants, at least for now, uh, after losing on the Jags last week. I'm with you. I'm, I'm done fading the Giants. I know the second I'd back the Giants, that's when they get absolutely blown out. But we do love Danny Dimes as an underdog. I'm looking to the over. So two of the better, not better, but two very solid offenses in the NFL. And Seattle is top five in points per game, 26 points per game. And the Giants aren't bad. They average 21 points per game. I think this total is a little low. Both defenses leave a bit to be desired. I know a lot of these Giants games have been going under the total. Granted, super lucky. But I just think these offenses have enough skilled players. I mean, that's with uh, – doesn't look like DK Metcalf is going to play. Also, it's good to note that the Giants are 5-0 and straight up as underdogs. They find themselves as road underdogs again this week. Probably lean to the Giants, but I I can't back them just because I've been fading them for a lot of the season and losing every fucking week. So I know the second I take them, they're done. But yeah, 44 and a half. This just feels too low with two really solid offenses and two pretty mediocre defenses. I I don't trust Seattle to really stop the Giants too much, and I think yeah, just too low. I like the over. All right, let's move forward and go to Los Angeles, where San Francisco makes the trip to Southern California to take on the Rams as they will conclude their regular season series at SoFi after the 49ers won by double digits in the Bay Area about a month ago on Monday Night Football. The 49ers are a one-and-a-half-point road favorite, total in this game of 42 in the hook. And you're going to be on San Francisco here. It's definitely the side I would look to. I still think San Francisco is a good team that's going to find its groove. And ironically enough, they were around this mark last year. I believe it was three and five last year. And it was a Monday night game against the Rams that really got the 49ers going in route to obviously rolling right through a lot of opponents and nearly, you know, and getting to the playoffs 
and you know nearly going to the Super Bowl again. So with all that said, I think the other thing here is, again, while it feels like San Francisco is going to kind of reel off some wins and Christian McCaffrey should be more involved in the offense, doesn't not sure Debo Samuel is going to play here. But, Alex, I just don't know if it matters because let's not forget, don't let the bye week get in the way of the fact that the Rams are an absolute mess on offense. Their offensive line is a train wreck. Stafford's not a mobile quarterback. They can't run the ball. Cam Akers, you know, is getting benched. It's really just cup that they can hang their head on right now on offense. And the defense, uh, you feel like it's kind of driven by a lot of big names that aren't playing to that caliber. Yeah, exactly. This is a bit of a tricky spot because we don't love Shanahan in the favor role, but he absolutely owns Big Vay head-to-head in his career. And this is in L.A., but don't make you think it's it's not a home game. This is not a home game for the Rams. There's going to be way more Niners fans there. They don't have this sort of home field. Like you mentioned, this Rams defense feels very overrated. They're really hanging their hat on a couple of big names and but on offense they just they can't score the ball. They're twenty ninth in the NFL in points per game on offense. They only average seventeen points per game. I don't think that's nearly enough. Like you said, the bye week, that kind of makes us forget about how bad the Rams are. We had a week off from watching that putrid offense. So we kind of forget as betters like how bad the Rams actually have been. But they they just can't score. And I don't see that changing against San Francisco. I think this is the clear side. Okay, let's head to Indianapolis, where the final game of the late afternoon window sees our Washington Commanders catching three in Indy against the Colts in the Sam Ellinger debut. Total of 39 in the hook. And Alex, to know how bad the NFC South is, Washington with a win here would go to four and four and would be the best record in that division as the commanders seem to be punching some life into their season out of nowhere, back-to-back wins against the bears and then against the Packers. And this is like the most commander stat ever eight, two and one since 2019 against the spread with a backup quarterback, which indicates that they just don't know who their quarterback should be. And obviously in very commander fashion, they bring in Carson Wentz when Heineke's probably just better anyway. And we saw that last week. I don't think Heineke or excuse me, Wentz is engineering the comeback that Heineke did as ugly as it was in the first half for Heineke. He got it together and got us to the window as four and a half point home dogs. And I think he's just a better quarterback in this matchup getting three points. So you grab that key number of plus three. I'll take the commanders. Looks like Chase Young, by the way. I don't know if he's going to play here, but he's getting close. Yeah, he was activated off the IR. I don't envision him playing this week, but I'm also not sure how that matters. The Washington pass rush has actually been really good. They're 30 in the NFL and pressure percentage. They rank 10th in the NFL in sacks per game, average 2.7 sacks per game. Now you're bringing in arguably a third-string quarterback. I guess Nick Foles kind of fell down the depth chart, but he's coming in to make his NFL debut against this really strong pass rush. And Washington, they're they're pretty good against a run. They're 16th in the NFL in rushing yards a lot per game. So you would think they're going to limit Taylor and make Ellinger beat them, which I don't envision. I mean, this is just the battle of the backups, and we're getting three points with the, the commanders. I mean, every single week, we keep going back to this well, but they keep giving us numbers that are favorable. I just feel like this is way too high. This feels like a pick em type of game. and I just am not sold how much home field really matters. I saw this open Colts minus four. And then it was announced that Ellinger starting and that dropped to three. I, I still don't think that's nearly enough. You mentioned the backups, but Heineke, I mean, he played like the entire season last year towards the end and played a playoff game. It's not truly a backup, just in name more so than in actual performance. I 
think he's arguably an upgrade over Wentz, just what he can do, getting out of the pocket a little. Wentz does not seem to do that at all now. Unfortunately, it's terrible what happened to Wentz. Like, after that fucking almost, like, MVP type of season with the Eagles that one year, and now he's just bottom of the barrel. Like, I don't even know uh, if he could get Wentz this job should back. never start another game in the NFL. No, I don't think he could get this job back if he was healthy. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also worth noting here that the Colts are. But, you know, it's funny, Alex. Even if he was playing, again, as further proof that we just can't quit this team, I'd be saying Carson <laughs> Wentz revenge game. I would, I would still absolutely take the points. <laughs> might, get a, might get a better line with Wentz. It's yeah. also uh, it's worth noting the Colts, they're the worst team in the first half. They're 0-7 against the spread so far this year in the first half. So I will definitely be playing Commander's first half, Commander's full game. I think you got to sprinkle the money line. I'm not so sure how much the spread really matters in the NFL anymore. I was looking back last week. Only two of the 13 games last week did the spread actually come into play. So either dog the dog, favorite wins outright. The dog, dog wins or favorite covers like comfortably. We saw it tonight. Ravens, underdogs, just absolute comfortably i mean that that With spread that really line. never yeah that that box like sharp money coming in flipped the spread and neither of the numbers mattered the the ravens opened minus one and a half still easily easily covered and that's not good i still want my clv when i can get it oh absolutely get the clv trophy and then it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> All right, let's go to Sunday Night Football in Western New York, where the Buffalo Bills return from their bye week, laying 11 against the Green Bay Packers, total of 47 and the hook. Gosh, Alex, to most teams you don't lay 11 with, but the both the Bills aren't most teams, and the Packers are broken, and this is far from a get-right spot going to Buffalo with the Bills coming out of their bye I don't know what more we need to say here. I think it's bills or pass, which is really weird to say about a double-digit favorite in the NFL, but nothing excites me about betting the Packers here. No, it's it's absolutely bills or pass. And the more I look at this game, the more I think I'm just going to lay it. I think, like you said, the, the Packers are just so broken. I think this year they were counting on leaning on the defense. I mean, it quite hasn't in there like the defense isn't that great defense choked against Danny Dimes they were help they were up I think 17 in that game choked against Dimes couldn't stifle Heineke that one ball he threw to Terry McLaurin for the touchdown this Packers defense is just not great and then the offense and all you have really now is the dual headed backfield which Aaron Jones is one of the better backs in the NFL but doesn't really matter when you're not afraid of the receivers at all. You just sell out against a run. And then Alan Lazard didn't practice today. That's a huge concern. And that really makes their their wide receiver options very limited. You got Romeo Dobbs, a rookie. I just don't know who they're going to throw the ball to. How are they going to score points? You're seeing a total of 47.5. This is not... Not your father's Packers team. This is this is unbelievable how far they've fallen. I'm not really afraid to lay it with the Bills right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you as far as just not being afraid to lay points with Buffalo. And, you know, they covered 14 easily against Pittsburgh. And, you know, Green Bay is kind of that level of offense right now. And, and this is a this is a historic game. I saw Aaron Rodgers had made 234 starts. He had never been a double digit dog, and this is definitely going to close him wow. being a double digit underdog on the road. This Packers team is just they're just bad. Can't you see Rodgers just – I mean, I could because he's just kind of a weirdo. I, I could see him just dipping and retiring at the end of the year. 
<laughs> would not surprise me, but I know he's a super hungry competitor. I mean, he's talking about next season already, like getting other guys playing time and looking to next year. Right. Wouldn't surprise me if he did call quits. You know, does have a Super Bowl. Arguably, like, should have more, but yeah, like I mean, the he could definitely first Sunday away. in March. He's just like, yo, I'm out. I mean, just pulls like an Antonio Brown, just leaves at halftime of this game when they're down like 35 yeah, to Yeah, yeah. Have fun doing love. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate seeing Jordan Love try to provide a little bit of a spark, but. Even him, they have just zero weapons in the passing game. This team is the least scary team in the NFL. They might have the weakest skill positions there is. We mentioned having few weapons in the passing game. Cincinnati will be down a weapon in the passing game as we'll end in Northeast Ohio as the battle for Ohio takes place in Cleveland as the Browns host the Bengals. Bengals laying three on the road, total of 45. And we found out today, Jamar Chase will go on injured reserve and miss a minimum of four to six weeks. As far as how that impacts this game, I do think it makes Cleveland in with a chance. We've seen the Browns be competitive the last few weeks. Now, the Browns have lost four in a row, and and I think we talked a little bit about it last week. That seat's getting pretty warm, I think, for Kevin Stefanski, because knowing that you're going to be changing quarterbacks with Deshaun Watson— what level of competence has Kevin Stefanski shown this season that makes you think he would be able to be the guy that you would want to tie Deshaun Watson to? I just think that we could see a coaching change at the end of the year in Cleveland. And by the time Watson returns, it could even be a lame duck situation for Stefanski. Having said all of that, Cincinnati not going to be nearly as explosive without Chase and I know there's not that many non-quarterbacks that, you know, necessarily impact your handicap, but this is a rare situation where I think it does make me consider uh, the Cincinnati opponent a little bit more because, uh, you know, what what kind of offense is it going to be? Are they going to be as quick strike? And, you know, divisional dog, primetime game, you know, I still don't think even with a win, Cleveland – rejuvenates its season I would need to see more at this point but I also don't know about Cincinnati being like are they back to being the team that went to the Super Bowl last year this is still the same team that started 0-2 lost outright at home week one to the Pittsburgh Steelers um, lost to Cooper Rush and the Cowboys so uh, you know I think Cincinnati's in a good spot but the chase thing really holds me back on playing the Bengals. And if anything, I'd lean Browns. Yeah, I certainly can't get there with the Bengals. I think chase really makes that offense. I think they go how he goes. I think he makes guys like Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. He's, you know, kind of third, third type of receivers. I think he makes them way better. He opens this offense all the way up. He just takes so much coverage to him. He's one of the better receivers in the NFL. I think this loss is absolutely massive. I'm definitely going to look to the under. I know unders so far in the season they've been they've been hitting at a high rate, 64 and 44 to the under so far in the season. That's 59 percent. I think the under is a good look. I I just don't see the the Bengals really bringing a ton of life to this game, losing their star receiver. I mean, the Browns secondary. And, and again, it's not like Cleveland, not especially recently with Percet. Like, I mean, most of the time, like they haven't been a juggernaut. Like it's just been managing games. Exactly. I mean, you even just look back to last week, that was a 23 to 20 game against the Ravens and really couldn't exploit this secondary that, the Ravens aren't great. The Browns don't have a great secondary. Neither team could really open it up. That game went under 45. I, I think the under is the best play here, and I would strongly lean the Browns as well. 
home divisional. All right, well, that's going to just about do it for our week eight edition of Full Slate. He's Alex Uplinger at Alex underscore up seven on Twitter and at full underscore slate underscore pod managing our podcast Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter. Everyone enjoy NFL Week Eight, College Football Week Nine, World Series, NFL or excuse me NHL and NBA regular seasons in full force now. Both been going for minimum of a week, so October may well be the best sports month. And you know, obviously, we're gonna have the World Series bleed into November, which is gonna take us right into college basketball and. College football regular season ending up. It's a good time of year in sports, Alex. And the previous channel button is our best friend this time of year. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is where you need like three, four TVs. This is insane stretch of sports. Are you picture in picture guy? No, I haven't dabbled. I, I'm I not either. Two TVs in the basement. So that's okay. generally where I'll, where I'll flock to when, when I need them. But uh, picture in picture. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm not about it. I, I, I just think it's like I, I find myself being able to pay more attention to two games on two different screens than two games on one screen. Yeah, that gets a little confusing for sure. But what, yeah, it, what like about a full appeal of it is just weird to me. Yeah, not a fan. Do, do you have a World Series prediction for your Phillies? Yeah. It's so, a tough spot. It is because I think that the this is the potential to be an all-time Astros team, right? Like you're looking at it, like I think, I mean, we'll see what happens with Altuve and how that impacts his Hall of Fame candidacy. But I think Altuve and Verlander are probably Hall of Famers. You might be saying that about Jordan Alvarez, you know, and I mean certainly on that kind of trajectory. So you're talking about multiple Hall of Famers on this team. There's, I mean, Framber Valdez set the record for consecutive quality starts. But I don't know. At the same time, while this Astros team might be the best of their run the last five, six years, you look at what beat them in 2019, the Nationals had stars. You look at what beat them in 2021, it was a hot Braves team. The Phillies are hot and have stars. So I think it's going to be a really good series. And, I mean, I hate to chicken out and not have a pick, but – I don't have a pick. Like, I, 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 I think it could really go either way. Um, and I think it's going to go at least six. Yeah, I was going to say, let's just read for uh, at least six, hopefully seven, because there's nothing like Game 7 World Series. It's the most high-pressure situation in sports. All righty, my man. Enjoy NFL Week 8 and all the other sports, and we'll be talking. Yeah, buddy. See Again, you later. Good luck to you, Phillies. Thank you very much. Again, this has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone enjoy the weekends and go Phils. And, of course, please play responsibly.